Hi everyone, welcome back to another episode of Success and Sales, Hacks and Chats with Mike McDonald. I have a very special guest, we have Scott Ayers joining me today. Scott, thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me on, I appreciate it. So Scott is a social media scientist. He co-authored Facebook All-in-One for Dummies and the podcast host of Social Media Labs. So we're going to dive into all things social media today. But before we do that, Scott, could you share a little bit about yourself? So where you were born and what it was like for you growing up? Oh, man, that's a long story. Let's see how long we got here. Um, yeah, I was <laughs> born in, uh, as you can tell probably by my accent, um, maybe, maybe not. Uh, I was born in Dallas, Texas. and uh, So I'm a Texas, Texas guy through and through. lived in Texas my entire life. Um, diehard Dallas Cowboys fan. I even have a Dallas Cowboys logo tattooed on my arm. So uh, diehard. Um, so, yeah, growing up, I grew up in the sticks. Uh, my, my dad was a trucker. So he was, you know, gone like six days a week. Uh, we lived out in the country, middle of nowhere. This is in the 80s. And so it's like pre-internet, no right. computers, no cable. We, uh-huh. didn't, we didn't have air conditioning for a long, long time. Uh, and we lived in Texas. So it was like 105 degrees in the summer. So that was always a pretty intriguing thing. So, yeah, so small town life uh, is, is kind of what I've been around and still am actually to this day is, is mainly in small towns in Texas. Um, have two brothers. And then, you know, from there, I mean, as I grew up, I, you know, I wanted to go to college and, and I was actually the first um, in my immediate family. I have about 30 cousins on one side of my family and about 10 on the other side. And I was the first one out of all the grandkids to ever go to college. Um, and and got, I got two degrees. I got a, a business degree uh, in business management and then I ended up getting a bachelor's of science in education uh, right. with an emphasis on church recreation. Uh, okay. Interesting <laughs> from Baylor university. Yeah. But, but in the meantime, before that, I had actually, you know, at, at about the age of 18 or 19, I was addicted to business. I knew that when I was young, even as a little kid, I was kind of entrepreneurial. You know, I started my own bait shop. I started, you know, selling, you know, I resold a lot of stuff to other people uh, quite a bit that I would buy at garage sales, that sort of thing. And then uh, at about 18, 19, I got into retail and fell in love with retail and was a manager at a really young age at a Best Buy, um, youngest department manager they'd ever had. This is back in 1993. Oh, nice. Uh, running, you know, a multi-million dollar, you know, a per month video department at 19. <laughs> Uh, and Crazy. so I, I loved it though. I was, I loved the numbers game. I loved sales. Uh, I love learning about sales and those, you know, it was 1993. So we're talking what, 25 years ago, there are still some sales tactics that I still use today and still think of when I, when I'm thinking about sales or how to do sales, um, because it just stuck with me and it was taught to me really, really well. Uh, so kind of journeyed through a lot of retail, uh, for a while, uh, different electronic stores, um, I was actually, I don't know if you have Maytag appliances over where you're at, but Maytag appliances are like the American brand of appliances. And, uh, and I, I was a Maytag repairman for about three years selling and repairing appliances, which was kind of an interesting job, you know, job to have uh, as a guy in my twenties. Um, and then from there, I mean, I, I jumped from, from business after multiple years of, of working retail uh, jumped into ministry. Actually, I was a uh, a youth minister at a church, um, and then right. 
became a, with my, my degree, my goal originally was to become a coach and a teacher at, you know, at the high school. And, uh, right. but I decided in the meantime, I, I didn't, I didn't want to, I didn't want to go through that much college. It was too much for me. <laughs> and you know, I was got a little lazy. And so I, I took a quicker route and got a recreation degree, which basically means half of my college degree was spent playing games. <laughs> uh, I, I literally like, I had bowling as a class, uh, nice. tennis, uh, field hockey. I mean, you name it, basketball, baseball, football. Um, and even one class literally just on tying knots. Like I can teach you how to tie a boat to a ramp, you know, boat dock real easy. Um, so that was a lot of my college. And then, so I, I became, <laughs> I became a sports and recreation minister, which sometimes doesn't, you know, people don't always understand what that means, but basically I worked for a couple of really large churches in the Houston, Texas area, um, running sports leagues for kids and adults, uh, where we had, so it was basically running a little business. We had, gosh, our basketball league, I had one basketball league, it had 5,000 kids in the basketball league. Um, so a tremendous amount of marketing. My main job was marketing more than actual ministry. It was more of just running the organization. Um, and then through that, the interesting thing, I look back on it now a little bit as I was addicted to social media, even back then, uh, my space was hot still at that point. And I, and, and I actually taught a, uh, a class at, at a couple of conferences on how to use MySpace for youth ministers, which is kind of ironic now looking back on my life a little bit <laughs> yeah. uh, where I am now. Um, so through that, I kind of weaved through, left ministry, um, got back into business and sales. I ended up selling cars for a while, and I loved selling cars. I actually, you think most people hate it, but I, I enjoyed it because you got to talk to so many different people, um, and I was really good at the sales pitches and, and the sales side of things. Uh, from that, I, I transitioned over into, I got recruited by a guy who moved cars for a living, uh, basically like as an auto shipping broker. People buy cars on eBay or, you know, from, from somebody across the country or even overseas. And so we shipped cars. Uh, oh, nice. And even though, you know, we shipped a lot overseas, lots of the UK. Um, yeah. And so through that, I really fell in love with social media. Um, started my own company moving cars because I, I got tired of, you know, splitting commissions with, you know, a boss. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it makes I, said, sense. <laughs> I thought, Hey, I could do this on my own. I don't need it. I don't oh, need of this. Course, yeah. uh, that was probably a bad idea in some regards because <laughs> you know, they had the expensive website and all those things. But in the middle of that, I fell in love with LinkedIn and then I fell in love with Facebook. Uh, Facebook had just kind of launched. I mean, this was Facebook was maybe a year old at the time, year and a half, somewhere around there. And I found most of my leads from, from Facebook or Twitter, one or the other. Um, in the middle of that, I started using a, a product called uh, Fan Page Engine, which I don't know how long you've been around Facebook. You've had Facebook business pages for a while. But back in those days, you could create your own little custom, what they called tabs on the business pages. And that product helped you, a, a dummy like me, create these quick, easy pages. And so I started reselling that. I, I would... I started, you know, making pages for other people um, because I understood how to do it real easy in my spare time and also started training people how to use their product. Like I did videos, how to use this fan page engine product. And so the, the guy who ran the company, his name is David Foster. He's still a friend of mine today. And this was 2008, 2009, somewhere around there. Uh, he's like, man, you're, you're our most active you know, fan, you know more about our app than we do. Can you make some training videos for me? So he paid me to do oh. some videos. Yeah. And I went, yeah, cool. 
And then he's like, you know what? Can you write blog posts? I'm like, what's a blog? I don't even know what that is. And, uh, and so I started, <laughs> I started doing blog posts for him. And then he's like, why don't you just come work for me full time? And luckily, you know, for me, they worked out great timing wise because the economy had kind of collapsed here in the U.S. Uh, and I couldn't, I couldn't move cars to save my life because gas prices were so high. And so I went to work for him full time, never doing anything in social media up until that point, really. And I, I ran, I basically ran our support, uh, our training, uh, sales. So I was kind of a little bit of everything and blogging, probably wrote, you know, 1500 blog posts for him in a period of about three years uh, and got a lot of recognition in the middle of that uh, because I wrote so much and kind of caught the eye of a lot of people and learned a lot about social media, just kind of, you know, being thrown to the wolves, <laughs> you had to figure it out. Um, and so from there, I mean, I worked there for about three years, I think, and the company collapsed, you know, it's another, you know, one of those app companies that eventually just loses funding and, you know, one day I got a message from David and said, Hey, I can't pay you anymore. And uh, I'm like, Oh, that's awesome. And uh, so I had to look for, I had to look for something else. And uh, I actually was a, for one day, you talk about, you know, and, and you look back on your career and go, okay, what, what's the weirdest jobs maybe you had? Uh, for one day I, I worked for a, uh, a pest control company, you know, killing roaches and stuff. Uh, I went through one day of training and I went, Nope, I can't do that. <laughs> this is not for me. Uh, and so <laughs> I, it was funny. I actually, in the middle of that, since we're going through our story here, I, I sent out an email to about, you know, it was supposed to, I started a GoFundMe uh, page because I needed money to pay bills. I had three kids and I just moved. And so I sent this GoFundMe page saying, Hey, if you, if you want me to help you do videos or help you do Facebook marketing, blah, blah, blah you know, give some money to this. I'll help, you know, you help me, I'll help you. And, and, and raise a pretty decent amount of money to get me through for a couple of months. I accidentally on purpose, you know, probably, uh, I sent an email, that email out to about 2000 people on my Gmail list. Didn't, you know, not thinking about it. So a lot of big marketers saw it for one. They didn't know that I'd left the company because our, the company had even folded, but another company called post planner reached out to me. He's like, dude, you want to come work for me? I'm like, Okay. And so I ended up landing a really sweet job with them, kind of doing the same thing, doing social media, doing the blogging, doing podcasting, um, training. So, you know, support uh, for post planning. They're a, yeah, a schedule at, scheduling app for businesses, schedule out your content. And uh, did that for, gosh, three and a half, almost four years, probably the longest I've ever stayed in any company. Um, walked away from them. Uh, and then now, since. January of 2017, so we're almost at two years, I've been working for Agora Pulse. Um, Agora Pulse is a, a social media management platform, kind of similar to Hootsuite or Sprout Social, if you've heard of them. Um, we help you manage, you know, your content and your comments and messages and stuff like that. But they hired me kind of in a unique position. You know, for one, I mean, all the other jobs that had the other app companies, you know, I'm spinning, you know, 16 plates at one time. Um, and doing lots of different jobs and not doing any of them very well. Um, and so with this company though, Gore Pulse, they actually hired me just to run a blog and podcast um, called the social media lab where, you know, our whole goal is to invest about $15,000 a month um, testing different social media marketing tactics to kind of see what's working, what's not working. Um, what are the experts saying works and can we prove if it works or not? And a lot of times we disprove them and make them mad. Um, and so it's been a unique 
you know, experience for me so far the last two years, um, because I, I am able to be very, very hyper-focused uh, on, on this one task. I don't have to do any sales anymore. I don't have to do support. Um, I do, I do run our social media, which is sometimes, you know, needs a team to do it. Um, and so it's, it's been an interesting journey to kind of look back on it. I look back, I was joking the other day cause now I'm in this, I'm in this phase where I, we're going to start going to conferences and speaking at conferences and, you know, just having booths at conferences and stuff. Yeah. And, cool. uh, and back in like probably like the year 2000, 2001, you know, I taught that, I taught a con, you know, a couple of sessions on MySpace and how to use MySpace for ministry. And now to look back on that and realize I've, you know, I, I, that's kind of what I'll be doing again here soon. Um, but in a whole <laughs> different way, but still talking yeah. about social media. So in a lot of regards though, the last, even though I've kind of changed companies and, and a little bit changed the businesses that I've had, I've had a lot of different local businesses in the meantime as well. While I even had this job just to play around with social media and play around with marketing. Um, it's all been focused on social media. Uh, and it all kind of comes back to that. I've always just been really good at it. I've understood it probably faster than most. Um, just, be, you know, because I can sit back and look at it on a different angle, I think, than a lot of people get confused on. Um, so, yeah, it's interesting how you, you, you kind of pull yourself back 15, 20 years later and go, oh, you know, you know really, it's, even though it's like 10 jobs, it's all in the same niche. Yeah. Uh, and that's, that's been kind of neat to, to kind of look at and see now. At the time, I was like, what in the world? My wife especially was like, what are you doing? <laughs> changing jobs every year and a half where are you going yeah uh, but it's all been the same niche and i've still had this you know the same contacts and i'm still known in that industry um and that's been a kind of a neat a neat thing to be a part of so that's kind of my story in a nutshell uh especially business wise so what sort of trends have you noticed regarding social media then because you've been in you've been in the world since myspace so you've been here since well you know, we all had a MySpace account, I think, and I know I had one. I miss and, MySpace a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> and then I, 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 there was something about it that just made life easier. And I think. Well, it was, now, that, it was, that, it was that personal connection you got to have yeah, with people. And they got to see this interesting side of you, this creative side of you that no one else saw. Because you could do your own little custom stuff. You could do the, yeah, the background and the, the audio and, and all these different things. And we couldn't do that before. Um, so I think that's why it, was, it caught people's attention so much because it was a way for a lot of us to express ourselves, you know, to the world, you know, and not feel judged by, you know. Yeah, I think you used to be able to, like, customize your, your profile, couldn't you? You have, like, music oh, yeah. playing yeah. and all those things. It's pretty cool where now it's like we're all just the same kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, we all look the same. Got the same little image, you know, yeah, cover yeah. photo. I know. Yeah. It's a bit, ugh. <laughs> so so samey it's so samey but you, you, you've been in the world since like it kind of began because myspace was one of the first like proper social media yeah. platforms that kind of kicked off there was like bebo and those sorts of things but it just worked just wasn't the same it wasn't myspace you know yeah, exactly. and um so you've been either bobbing about on the different platforms. You're probably on absolutely everything. So you know the trends. I know we were talking before we started about how like video has become live streaming and how like blogging's become Facebook posts. And we've got this transition moving forwards towards something. But is, is there a common theme or a common thread that you've noticed around the amount of progress i guess that people are making towards that and also like is there 
how can I put it? Is there like a lens that people are viewing the progress from? Is there something like we're actually working towards? Because from video to live stream, I can sort of see. Because a video, you can polish it up, you can change it, you can do what you want with it, you can edit it and all those things. So moving to live streaming, in, in the back of my mind tells me, well, it's live, so people yeah. could see actual events live if they wanted to. They could see you live. They can you know, engage with you as well. I know it's not video. It's more like text, isn't it, for the majority of these. But you can engage either face-to-face if it's like a split-screen type scenario or through text. So there's a bigger engagement with the person that's recording the live as opposed to the video so that makes sense well in, in the back of my mind I, I see those as two separate things now like video is one thing mm. live streaming is another yeah. and then you've got pictures and then you've got text and are we moving towards a particular direction do you think you know I, it's, it feels like the market you know especially the marketing world has been trying to push us to live video Gosh, I keep, I keep hearing that it's a year of live video for the last like what two or three years, like when Periscope started. Yeah. Um, yeah, we've yeah. kind of moved and it, it has progressed. It has gotten better. The platforms are more stable. You can do a lot on your desktop. So you can be, you know, more professional from it. But, but I think there's, there's, there's so much there. there there's, there's something in us, as she, especially going back to the MySpace thing, there, there's, there's something in us as, as humans where, we're all voyeurs a little bit, if you know what I mean, if that word comes over to you. I mean, we want to see what other people are doing. We want to see the behind the scenes stuff. We want to see the, yeah, yeah. I mean, the most popular videos on YouTube are kids unpacking toys. I mean, it's the stupidest thing. Like, why do I want to care about little Johnny opening, you know, a Legos <laughs> box? Go, go play with your actual Lego. Like my kids are eight, 11 and 12 right now. I don't let them watch YouTube because all they do is sit around and watch the videos of other kids playing with toys. <laughs> that that, that kind of reminds me of Gogglebox yeah. as well. Do you remember? Yeah. Have, you, have you watched Gogglebox before? I've heard of it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so it, I think there's just that. There's just that weird. You know, we want to see that stuff that we couldn't go see before. Um, so I think sense. the live video. That's what it it appeals to that sense. It's that way of seeing people kind of raw. They're going to make mistakes. Like you and I, even though we're recording this podcast. We're not starting over if I say um or ah or, or skip over my, my fall over my words or something. It's still, I think there's that, that, that same sort of appeal to people that they want to see that. Um, a really cool example of live video that I love, and I need to write about this guy, is a lo- I live in a small town in Texas, um, a, little, a town of about 8,000 people. Um, and, and a buddy of mine owns a pizza joint. And he uh, is a local, it's a local run business, not a franchise or anything. And he decided to make this 28-inch around or crawl, I guess 20-inch across pizza called the Colossus. Thing weighs, the pizza weighs seven pounds. That's wow. Kind of into, I don't know how it puts over in metrics and all that. but uh, So seven-pound pizza, massive. In a box, it barely fits in the back of my Suburban to kind of give it a visual. <laughs> and so he created this pizza. He's like, man, I want to create um, – I want to do an eating challenge and see if somebody can eat this thing in an hour. I'm like, good Lord, seven pounds of pizza. That's a lot. And, and so I'm like, dude, you, you got to go on live on Facebook and show everybody. So we got this guy who wanted to do it. You know, he thought he was, you know, being all big and bad. He wanted to go do it. And so like within about 10 minutes before he's starting to have this guy eat the pizza, I'm, I'm texting him how to go live on his Facebook page, which probably had 
he has about 2,500 likes, probably somewhere around there, 3,000 likes, which isn't bad for a small town. And, and so he figured out how to go live. He goes live showing this guy starting to eat the pizza and, and what was going on. And there was probably like 10 or 15 people in the store watching. And online, it was started out real slow the first few minutes, like 15, 20, 30. Got up to about 50 at about the 10-minute mark. But all of a sudden, it hit about that 11, 12, 13-minute mark. And it was 100 people watching. It's 150 people watching. And it just started snowballing. And Gerald's going, I can't believe this. And at one point, I think – I think consistently watching it live, there was over a thousand people watching this thing live, thousand to fifteen. Wow. And, it, and when it was all said and done, for one, the guy didn't eat the pizza; he only got about you know a little over halfway through, and then literally <laughs> ran, ran with like three minutes left. He ran off camera oh. and, and went and threw up in the bathroom uh, because he just couldn't take it anymore. But the cool, <laughs> we went back and looked at the analytics of the video; it, it got about twelve thousand views. Um, and then we had people, he had people, I say we, cause I, I didn't have anything to do with it except for telling him to do it. But people were commenting on, on the video live. Like he was asking, Hey, where are you watching it from? There were people from all over the United States, every, almost every state you can think of. There were people from France there were people from the UK. We had there was somebody from Africa, you know, New Zealand, Ireland. I mean, just everywhere. It, the thing literally went global and went viral. It was, it was really cool to kind of watch it you know, happen. And, and then, so for one, that was neat to see that for one, you know, just push, push the button and go live. You know, it was very raw. It wasn't rehearsed. It wasn't perfect, but it was just real. Um, and it was something people wouldn't have the chance to watch any other way because, you know, it was just in this small little town in Texas. Um, but the interesting that came from it after that is free for one. You didn't pay any money for that. The local news station here saw the video and said, hey, can we come and do a live broadcast on, one of, on our morning show and have one of our news anchors try to eat the pizza live on the air? And we'll broadcast live on Facebook as well, and we'll show it on the news. And so you're talking about getting, I mean, the market here, viewership-wise, is probably half a million people. And so he got free advertisement in front of about half a million people, you know, this, this news guy trying to eat the pizza, and he hardly even got a fourth of the way through the pizza. Uh, but he couldn't have, you know, he couldn't have paid for that advertisement. Um, and now that pizza sells like crazy. People are constantly buying that thing. Um, and he's had multiple people try to eat it and he keeps going live on those as well. Of course, no one has succeeded yet um, in doing it. But the ramifications of him finally just taking that action and going live um, have been tremendous for him down the road. And it's going to be interesting to see. I, I need to get with him this week and see how many pizzas he's sold you know, since then to kind of equate it to some sort of ROI. Yeah. Um, but that's a good example though of just any business, you know, has something unique that people want to see on social media. Um, and I think live video gives us that opportunity. Um, and especially when it's not completely um, rehearsed and too polished. Now, if you're given a presentation, you know, or you're like, I'm about to do a live video show on our social media lab podcast, our blog, you know, with another guy named Owen video, you know, we're going to start doing a weekly live show. That'll be polished. You know, we'll have bits, we'll have a script per se that we stick to. Um, so you know, on that sort of stuff, you've got to kind of have some preparation, but just popping live and, and, and on your business and showing people behind the scenes, showing people what's going on, or maybe it's someone's birthday and you're singing happy birthday to a coworker. People love that stuff. And there's so much value in it. Um, on social media that I think people are missing out on. So trend wise, I mean, 
I think live video is going to be here to stay. I don't think it's going anywhere. Uh, my fear though um, of live video is you mentioned something when we started this little part of the conversation of now you can kind of, you can go and watch anything and be anywhere. I think we're going to create a lot of people that are just lazy and don't go to things anymore. Uh, so you know, you're, you're, you're at a concert streaming live. And so I just watch it on Facebook or Instagram or wherever. I don't need to go to the concert anymore. And so I, I think, and I worry about that with virtual reality too. Um, so I, I think there's that side of it. I don't even remember the movie. Um, uh, what was the stinking movie? It's, it'll hit me later. Uh, there's a little movie. It's a, it's a kid's movie uh, where there's little robots and stuff. And there's these, all the people are, all the people in the movie are, are kind of these fat looking people who just stare at screens all the time. We're oh, was it? Uh, oh, um, Wally, was it? Wally, that's what it is. Hey, uh, there we go. My kids would be mad. I couldn't remember that. Uh, but I think I, I worry about us as a society kind of becoming those people on Wally, you know, where we're, we can't even function and get outside and move because we're staring and our screens go off and we don't know what to do, you know, because we're so ingrained and so stuck on our, on our, on our, on our devices. Um, so I worry about that a little bit with the live video stuff that, you know, I don't want to take away from that. I've been to Paris, you know, I'd seen Paris before in videos and, you know, even live stream and that sort of stuff, but going and seeing the Eiffel Tower in person is so much different than seeing it in video. Uh, and so I, I think I worry about us as a society missing out on some of those things. Um, other just tactics in general or trends in general, I do think video is still um, going to be king for, you know, for a while because of how easy it is for people to do. But we're, we're in the middle of testing right now um, and, and I don't know if you follow social media examiner, uh, and Michael Stelzner, um, we're testing to see if, if long form video on Facebook has kind of died off. Um, he has found that a lot of his shorter videos perform much, much better and are shown to people more longer videos, like over five minutes or, you know, no one's watching them. They don't get to the end hardly ever. Um, and we notice that too. If we have a video that's 30 minutes long, even a live video, 30 minutes long, you know, the viewership towards the end drops off tremendously um, on the replays and on the live. And so I think people's attention spans are short. Um, and so you kind of got to look at mm. that, you know, is yeah. are we back to that short? You know, if you remember, and Instagram is still there, you know, where your, your video options on Instagram are what, 30 seconds maybe. Uh, and so I think there's still something to that where we don't want to sit there on our phones staring at a video for an hour you know, because we got better things to do with our lives. Um, and so I think that shorter content on video may be where we need to think as marketers more. And that's something we're testing and try to see if we can see a trend where YouTube, what, what Stelzner has found on, on his YouTube videos, they're longer form and they do fine, but people go to YouTube just to watch videos where Facebook, they go, Oh, there's a video. I'll watch it. But, Oh, I just got a notification that, you know, Sammy liked my post or left the comments. So I'm going to go see what that is. And then they leave the video and don't come back. Uh, and so I think there's two different mindsets to, to look at there. Uh, and so that's the kind of stuff that, you know, we have to look at and see what the trends are. We've tested and we're, and I don't have all the data on it yet. You know, subtitles on videos, should your videos on Facebook or YouTube have, you know, have subtitles because people aren't turning the sound on as much anymore. Uh, that's something to think about as, as a business when you're marketing, you know, because, you got to remember a lot of people are, you know, they're sitting in the cubicle at work <laughs> on their phones, surfing Facebook. They can't turn the audio on. So <laughs> how are yeah. you going to get in front yeah, of them? Yeah. And so your mm. subtitles may be a way to do that. 
because um, we, you know, let's admit it, we all multitask at work or wherever we're at or at our kid's soccer game or, mm, yeah. you know, sitting in church or, <laughs> you know, or whatever it is. It's, <laughs> yeah. You've got you've to figure out tactics that work and subtitles is one of those that we're, we've tested it once. We, we spent, I think about $1,200 on the ads and didn't get to any conclusive data. And so we, we actually spent another thousand dollars on ads recently to see if we can kind of push the data set to be conclusive. Uh, on the subtitles versus non-subtitles. Um, so the, I, I think video is here to stay. I, and I, but I think, you know, the small business person or the entrepreneur doesn't need to be scared of it as much as they maybe used to be. I think you just got to get out there and get in front of the camera, start talking, and you get better as you go. It's just like your podcast. I'm sure your first one was awful. You know, you didn't know what to say. You know, you're, you're fumbling over your words. You know, it's, it's, it doesn't make sense when you go back and listen to it years later. But <laughs> once you get going, though, you kind of get a knack for it. You know what you're going to ask. You know how you're going to talk. Um, and so I think it's with anything in life. You've got you've to, you know, practice does make perfect. But you're never going to be perfect. But at least you get out there and start doing it. Um, and I think that's crucial for businesses. Yeah, I think there's definitely something to be said for improvement over time, adjustment over time. Like when when you mentioned videos and the the, uh, the length of the videos, it was like, well, that makes sense because as we get used to shorter content, so I think, I think if anything, we're being trained that way. The, the more shorter videos we see, we're not going to sit through a long one. But right, if, right. if we never went, if we never, ever, 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 ever did short videos, if, if they stayed at like 30 minutes or like it wouldn't upload, let's just say there was a social media platform out there where it was like, okay, 30 minutes is now the minimum. And everyone started doing that. I think people would do the written stuff that do pictures. But then when you wanted to watch a video, you had to actually sit down and watch the video. And yeah, I think it's the thing. Like I think of, sorry to interrupt you, but it's all right. Like I'm a, I'm a Hulu plus user to watch television shows and I pay for the, I pay the extra like four bucks a month. So I don't have to watch commercials. And, and now <laughs> yeah. if, if I go and watch a sitcom, you know, 30 minute sitcom on regular live TV, I've got to sit through the commercials. I'm so annoyed now, you know, because yeah. I'm like, Oh gosh, I got this four minutes of nothing timer or however long <laughs> it is. I want my yeah. 22 minute show you know, that's all I want to yeah, watch. Yeah. And then even in the middle of that, even though it's, I'm, you know, my wife and I are bad about this. We'll watch our, our you know, TV programs at night after kids go to bed. We're watching these shows, but we're both on our phone at the same time surfing social media. Um, and so we, we, but once you get used to that no commercial sort of thing, you don't want to go back to it. And it's kind of the same with the video. No. Stuff. Yeah, yeah. Once the creator has, let's say you're a creator out there and you've only done, you know, your videos have been like two or three minutes long. And then you go to a five minute to a 10 minute. Well, your audience may not like that five to 10 minute thing. So you no. got to stick to the shorter and then the vice versa can happen. If you've been a long form, you know, like your podcast, let's say you're always an hour long or whatever. You go to a real short one. Your audience goes, what happened? This is only 15 minutes long. You ripped me off. You know, I was ready yeah. for an hour. Yeah, uh, yeah. And so I think you have to fill out your audience and see what that is. And you got to look at your analytics, you know, wherever they're at and podcast analytics are the worst. Uh, but you got to look and see, you know, are people watching or listening to the very end? And if they aren't, where are they dropping off? And then how can I make my show fit into that? Um, that way they don't drop off. And because I, th I think that's crucial because the worst thing is going and looking at your analytics and seeing that 
you talk to yourself for the last 15 minutes of your video or your podcast uh, and nobody listened to it because that means you need to shorten it up and, and, and change. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because again, like I think it depends on the audience as well. So some people might want to see the behind the scenes, like you getting yourself ready before you actually go live. So I've, yeah. I've, I've seen a few where oh, I'd love to see how he sets up his equipment before he goes live because I've never seen that before. But that means, that means that they kind of go on like 10, 20 minutes before you're going live. Obviously, you have to do that yourself. So you're the person recording it. So you would have to go live like 20 minutes, 15 minutes before you do actually switch on, let's go live. Yeah. So then you can record those things. And I understand that. And it's like, well... If you're recording from a camera, which I'm assuming that you would be, are you going to use the same camera to record the behind the scenes or are you going to have to have a second camera and all those sorts of stuff? So you've got to think about all that, right? Yeah. But if you've got an audience that does want to see all those things, then that's kind of what you do. But like, if, if you're someone that has an audience, it could be a younger audience, could be someone that's busy, could be someone that watches the, the shows like during their lunch break or whatever your videos or your podcast or your whatever is going to be very different isn't it it's going to be and and i guess having the ability to see what your data is is a big part of analyzing your audience as well to a certain degree that's true i mean yeah and that's you got to fill it out like i said you got to see what they what the feedback is from your audience and and really the you know the one the bad thing about feedback you know using that term is people don't always tell you what they really think. <laughs> they tell you what they think you want to hear. And so you got, for me, I got to look at data. So if I can look at the data and say, okay, I'm dropping off on this amount of time and I'm not getting the viewers on this. Maybe I need to change it. As far as your example of, you know, the behind the scenes, I would probably approach that a different way. I would probably use, you know, like Instagram live to show that maybe. Um, because that is a little different audience and you don't need as much camera work. Maybe, maybe you got a, your mobile on a tripod filming that because what you don't want to do. And the reason I say that is a lot of the live videos on Facebook or YouTube, the worst thing is, is to forget about the people who are going to watch the replay because most people who watch your videos on Facebook or YouTube are going to see the replay. They're not going to yeah, watch it live. And true. so, if you've done, I, I hate the live videos that are, they pop on and they've got a five minute countdown when they're going live. No, you're live right now. Go live. Uh, because, <laughs> yeah. because if I'm watching the replay, I've got to fast forward to five minutes or so. You yeah, know, if you actually were exactly five minutes to find the content and that's annoying as crap. And so yeah. I don't, I think you got to, people look at that wrong because they're waiting on an audience. They're trying to trick the algorithm is what they're doing. They're waiting on an audience to come in when you just need to get out there and start talking. Um, and then, and no, and because you want to treat your, the people who are watching the replay as important as the live audience. Um, and so I, I, I don't like that. And I know friends who do it. Um, it just, it just comes over weird. I go over to their live video. I'm like, oh, they're live. I'm like, oh, wait a minute. They've got a 20 minute counter on here. Um, and it's tricking the algorithm because there's, there's a little, and, and it may have changed. Facebook, what they do, and this is, again, is something that's really hard to test, so I don't know how you'd ever test it. But Facebook used to, on your live videos, you know, if you're, if you're a follower of that page, for example, you'll get a notification when, let's say, you know, 
Agora Pulse goes live on Facebook. You'll say, hey, so it'll show, hey, Agora Pulse is live. And you, okay, cool. I'll go look at it. But let's say you don't look at it. You're not on your phone. You're not on your desktop. So you won't know it. they're ever live if you didn't see that or, or caught it. At about the 24-minute mark, Facebook resends that notification again. And so then you, another whole group of people can see that again, and they know you're live now, and they have a chance to hop on your live. And so a lot of, a lot of creators have been, have been trying to get around the algorithm by doing those long countdowns in the beginning to hopefully get a larger <laughs> live, quote-unquote, yeah. live audience yeah. once that second notification. And maybe even there might even be a third notification, some rumors say, that, that kind of goes out there. And again, it's almost impossible to test that. Um, but when you notice that bump, like the guy I mentioned with the, with the pizza eating, there was an obvious bump at about that 25 minute mark. Like all of a sudden more people started watching just out of the blue. Nobody was, some people were sharing it, but still just all of a sudden, boom, there it was. And then again, as it went about 45 minutes or so, there was another jump in, in, in viewership. So Facebook is doing something there to kind of notify people that, Hey, this is a popular live video. You might want to go watch it. Uh, but yeah, the whole countdown thing is, ugh, I, I just, I just think it fits this tricky. It's, it's a, it's a way to kind of trick the algorithm that, that doesn't take into account the people who are going to watch it later. Um, now the voyeurs that want to see you setting up your camera, you know, getting your hair right, getting your microphone ready, your teleprompter, whatever that you got going on. You're like, I, I'm in my office right now and I've got, you know, I've got umbrella lights that I use when I go live. So, you know, you see you flipping those on drop into your backdrop, whatever you got going. So there are people who are going to want to see that. But if people come just because of the title of your video, they don't want to see that. <laughs> That's a whole separate video. Uh, and so I think you got to figure right. out. Oh, I, yeah. I personally would segment it. Unless you're a guy like, like I mentioned David Foster, who was the guy I worked for first. He does a, 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 a page called Geek's Life. And on Geek's Life, it's all about just doing the geeky stuff you know, and setups and they do a lot of live streaming on Twitch and Facebook and stuff. And so their audience loves the setup stuff. That's, you know, they're, they're more about the setup than they are the actual content. And so that audience loves that and needs that. But me as, you know, social media marketing guy, they don't want to see that setup necessarily. And they might want it in a separate, you know, piece of content, uh, but not the entire live video because they got 30 minutes to watch it and you just wasted a couple of their minutes, you know, setting up. So yeah, that, that would be interesting to, to play around with and see, but I would probably try, try it either on a separate camera, a separate page or a group. Maybe you do that in a group that you have with your page and go live doing that and then live on your, on your actual business page separately. It seems to be more and more important that we try to be very, very contextual with where we put our stuff. So you, you mentioned doing the, the kind of the, the live on Instagram to, to show the behind the scenes, but then you actually do the, the proper video, the, the full length, you know, start to finish video on, on Facebook or YouTube or whatever the case is. Now, my own intuition tells me that that's because that is the context or the mindset of the person on that platform so few people will go to youtube search for something like a how-to video or whatever the case is and only want it to be like two minutes long they'll probably right. want to see the detail they'll probably want to see the, the proper how-to the full detail the full experience if you will 
But then if someone wants to see the behind the scenes, maybe they want to do, um, I don't know, maybe they want to see like your Facebook story or your Instagram story video mm-hmm. or your live stream or whatever it is, because that is part of your story, if you will. So it's, it's starting to be more and more and more and more and more of a priority to figure out, right, the person who is on Facebook, depending on when you go live, will depend on the mindset of the person that is on that platform. If you go live at dinner time, if your show mm-hmm. is three hours long, you're not going to get people to watch it. If no. you're going to get people to watch it at dinner time, that's not going to work. But at, like a, at tea time, you know, at like the, the seven, eight o'clock at night, when everyone's like settled down for the evening, they'll sit there with their, their drink or whatever the case is, and they will probably watch a full length hour or two long video, provided it's engaging and provided it's something they actually want to watch. But it, it's, it's the same thing it's the same video but you're putting it in different places can end up with very very different results and with all of the different platforms that are that are about now i mean i'm on probably some of them i'm not on all of them because my friends aren't on all of them right so right. i kind of hang out where people hang out kind of you know that, that kind of environment you know and it's kind of <laughs> thinking well it, it's proving more and more and more important so it's not just about the content we're putting out it's not just about whatever it is that we're creating it's proven more important to figure out, well, where am I putting it? It's almost like it doesn't matter what the quality is, so to speak, to a certain extent. You know, you do a, a full hour long Facebook Live where you just sat on your phone doing your thing. But if it's in the wrong place, then no one will see it or no one will see all, all of it. So what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I think it does 100% depend on your audience. Like, for example, I had a, I mentioned I had a side business for a while. I had, I don't know, over there, you'd probably call them jumpy castles you know, our bounce houses, what we call them here, you know, the inflatable things in the kids' backyard birthday parties. Uh, bounce uh, castles. Bounce castles, yeah. So there's a different wherever you're at. But I, I had a side business I started five years ago. I actually just, I started because I had three kids and I got tired of renting them. And so it was easier just to have my own business. And uh, it exploded into this business where I had 40 units that I rented out almost every weekend, you know, with a you know, team of people and vehicles. And it was, it was a lot. And I did most of my business on social media. And it was localized. So, you know, I was centralized in about a 60 mile radius around where I was at. Um, and so I did Facebook and I knew Facebook really well. And so I, my focus mainly on Facebook, but then I went into Instagram and I went into Twitter trying to see if I could get business from there. And I spent a lot of money on Instagram marketing for that business because very photo, you know, centric, very videos, cool videos of, you know, showing the, the thing blow up or how we rolled it or whatever. Kids bouncing on it, smiling, that sort of thing. Facebook did great for me. Huge ROI on Facebook. I didn't make a single rental in in five years on Instagram. And I probably spent on average each year, you know, and this doesn't sound like a lot, but two, three thousand dollars in advertising on Instagram per year for about four years, five years. Didn't get a single rental on Instagram. Got a lot of followers. <laughs> Got a couple of likes, but nobody bought from there. They bought from me on Facebook. Uh, and so I think you've got to figure out where your audience is, test it to see if that's even worth being there. Like you mentioned, you're not on every platform. I love that. You know, I don't think you need to be on every platform as a person or business. Uh, figure out what your audience is and stick to it. And if you're in a local, if you're a local business, from most, Facebook tends to be where the, the audience is at because it's, you know, very community oriented. 
if you're kind of a fashion thing or you've got really good visual content, Instagram seems to be where it's at. You know, if you like spam and lots of links and arguments, you go to Twitter. I don't know. <laughs> so I, and I think, I think as a business, <laughs> you've got to figure out where that, where that place is. And it doesn't mean you have to be everywhere. Um, I, I, that local business Twitter was horrible for it. And so I, after about six months of trying, I, I, I got rid of the Twitter account. It didn't make any sense for me to be on there because none of my, you know, target audience, which tend to be moms weren't on Twitter. Where are moms? They're on Facebook. Uh, and now they're probably on Instagram as well as the younger moms, you know, start to kind of come up. Um, so you kind of got to know where your audience is and who you're marketing towards. Um, and you only figure that out by trial and error. You know, do you, are you getting good click throughs? Are you, are you getting reservations? Are you getting sales? Whatever that looks like for your business. Um, and don't, don't spend too much time on that though. If you, if you go, it's like I went way too long on that Instagram account and wasted way too much money on it just to say I had 6,000 followers on it and I got some good likes, but I never got a single sell from it. I mean, I could have put that money elsewhere. Um, could have gone on vacation you know, with it. Um, and, that's <laughs> yeah, that's true. and so, I mean, I, there's a good lesson learned. A lot of it was for me, it was, I, it was a great testing ground for me to kind of figure some things out. But in the end, it was an absolute waste of time for me to be on there for that business where on the, there's some people who's was completely opposite. Like, um, I think of, I don't know if you follow a guy named Brian Fanzo, uh, his iSocial fan. I don't know. No, Z. sorry. A uh, real cool guy. And he's in, he's in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. He's a keynote speaker and, and oh, a well-known cool. marketer. He does tremendously well on, on Instagram, in my opinion, and Twitter. Facebook, you look at his engagement on Facebook on his business page, it's kind of meh, you know, it's not great because his audience is those millennials, you know, who are kind of fast talking, ADD type, you know, <laughs> and, and he, he admits he's got ADHD, you know, so he, that's his audience. Yeah. And, and, but they're, they're on the Instagram. They want that quick, you know, 10 second story. You know, they want the quick, you know, video on Instagram or the live video or that sort of rawness. Um, and so I, I think you've got to figure out what that is for you. Maybe it's a podcast, you know, maybe it's YouTube. I mean, for us, the brand for Agora Pulse, we suck at YouTube. Um, and we're trying to figure it out because our audience just hasn't been there, but can it be there? We're, we're, we're playing with Pinterest right now. We've been horrible at Pinterest for years. We, we just ran, you know, an ad, a couple ads on Pinterest and got an enormous amount of clicks, you know, and conversions from Pinterest and we never thought Pinterest was worth anything for us, you know, as a non-visual, we're, we're a software company, um, but we've got tons of content. And so we're using now Pinterest to drive traffic to our blog site. So you've got to kind of figure out where your audience is at and, and it's, it takes a little trial and error, but then once you realize you're not, you shouldn't be on that, on that platform, you should ditch it, <laughs> go elsewhere, forget trying to stick that, you know, I think too long in businesses, we try to stick the square peg in the round hole uh, and force it to happen and it doesn't happen. And then we get frustrated with the platform. It's not the platform's fault. It's our fault mm, yeah. um, for staying on there too long. Uh, and so I think that's, I think that's where you have to kind of look at it as a business and as an individual as well. I think we could probably cover like at least another hour of oh, everything. Yeah. I, th I, th I think <laughs> we've got between my own sort of experience as someone that uses the platforms as a creator, thanks to having the podcast and everything, it's kind of like, okay, this is part of the life now. When you, right. when you get into the world, you can't really step out, unfortunately. 
which, well, I say unfortunately, I'm actually enjoying all of it. So it's not. Yeah, I, did I go back and forth. There are times like when I, when I left the last company, I, I took a six month furlough, you know, from from social media. I even I, I logged. I took all the apps off my phone, didn't log any any of them, and I needed that time away from. But then I had to come back. You know, it's like I've got to. I know this stuff. I love this stuff. I know how to leverage it. Uh, and so I think it's just a part of who we are as a society. Now I do make sure that I put the phone away at dinner time or those times with the kids. I think that's important uh, as, as a human, but I, I you know, I, I think social media is here to stay. And as a business person and as a marketer, you've got to figure out what that, how that is that you can leverage it for your brand. Well, that is an amazing way to finish. Just before we go, we've got two final questions for you, Scott. And the first one is, if someone wants to find out more about yourself, so this can be social media, websites, all those things, where can people go? Yeah, you can go to uh, agorapulse.com forward slash social media lab. That's kind of our room in the house on the website where the social media lab's at. You can search social media lab on any podcast platform that you listen to and you'll find us uh, on social media. We're just, we're simply using the at Agora pulse name, A G O R a pulse P U L S E. Um, that's our brand. We use that for all of our social media. Uh, and I'm personally at Scott Ayers, A Y R E S uh, on Twitter and Instagram. You can feel free to follow me there. See my rambling and my, my addiction to Bigfoot and <laughs> your addiction to Bigfoot. Uh, the Dallas Cowboys. Well, that, that, that kind of comes into my last question, which is what would you like the world to know about you that it doesn't already know? Uh, but we already know about Bigfoot. So ask yeah. for something else. This is it. Oh, you've, 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 yeah, you've put, you've put your one. big foot in it. Yeah. You've put I your big foot in it. What else can you know? But my, and I, I see it. We'll see if anybody listens to this and maybe they'll tweet me. If you listen to this, Tweet me my nickname. My nickname growing up was Punky. And I've never told anybody that. So you're the first one cool. on the podcast I've ever said that to. So we'll see if you're listening. So I want someone to tweet Exclusive me. nickname. Punky. P-U-N-K-Y was my name. I don't even know why. I think because I was kind of a punk kid as a little kid. Uh, so that was my nickname until <laughs> I was about 10 or 11 years old. And there's only a certain amount of people in my family that still call me that. Well, Scott, that is an amazing way to end. I appreciate you coming on. If you're new to the show, make sure you subscribe. Make sure you share this one out. Tell Scott what his nickname is on Twitter or Instagram. Let him know. If you're currently subscribed to the show, welcome back. And make sure you do check out Scott. Make sure you follow him. Check him out. He does amazing work with the social media stuff. And as, as you've heard from our conversation, we could probably go on for a lot longer. So, Scott, thanks again for being a guest on the show, and I'm sure we'll keep in touch. All right, thanks for having me.